Hello and welcome to the Idaho Reports podcast for September 15th. I'm Melissa Davlin. This week, Betsy Russell of the Idaho Press joins us to discuss President Joe Biden's visit to Boise on Monday. But first, on Tuesday, the Idaho Department of Health and Welfare announced that a crisis standards of care declaration for the Treasure Valley and South Central Idaho is imminent as hospitals continue to buckle under the strain of COVID-19 patients, almost all of whom are unvaccinated. According to Idaho Department of Health and Welfare Director Dave Jepson, the coming declaration will affect Southwest District Health, based in Caldwell, Central District Health, based in Boise, and South Central Public Health, based in Twin Falls, spanning an area from Adams County to Kaja County. Crisis standards of health has already been in effect in North and North Central Idaho since September 6th, affecting hospitals from Grangeville to the Canadian border. On Wednesday, a group of lawmakers who oppose vaccination mandates for employees gathered at the State House in Boise in an attempt to reach a quorum to call themselves back into session. The goal was to pass legislation that would prevent vaccination mandates as a condition of employment. The attempt to reach a quorum failed, but other lawmakers, including a group of Eastern Idaho legislators and Senate Republican leadership, released their own statements on Wednesday opposing President Joe Biden's plan to require vaccination vaccinations of federal employees and contractors, as well as requiring employers with more than 100 employees to mandate vaccinations or weekly tests. Senate Republicans stopped short of saying they would come back into session this year, saying instead they would come up with legislative recommendations and work with Governor Brad Little and Attorney General Lawrence Wasden to explore legal options. All this comes 48 hours after Biden met with Governor Little and leadership from the National Interagency Fire Center in Boise. On Tuesday, I spoke with Betsy Russell of the Idaho Press about that visit, as well as the political drama that framed the event. Betsy, thanks so much for joining us. You were one of the local reporters who was in the pool for President Biden's visit. How did it go? It was it was interesting. It was exhausting. It was quite a thing to cover. Um, As a reporter, in the end, it was deeply unsatisfying because there was no media briefing. We had no opportunity to interact with or ask any questions of the president. Um, The last time I covered a presidential appearance here in Boise when it was President Clinton, as I recall, I did not get to ask my question that time either. But darn it, you know, every reporter's got their questions prepared and I wanted to. Um, Basically, there were two different levels of media access to the president's visit. For the um, arrival and departure, it was what they call open press. And so there were plenty of reporters and photographers who were able to be there for that and to photograph the president as Air Force One came into Gowan Field. And then there, it was pooled and there were four of us who had access to the actual roundtable briefing and the tour at NIFSI, although we had access not to all of it, but to most of it and not to all parts of the visit. There were also portions of the visit where he met with um, supporters that we didn't have access to and things like that. I want to ask about that round table. And it, there was a lot of frustration, including from me, that that pool feed, the live pool feed of the roundtable discussion cut out right as the president started to ask questions of the intend, uh, attendees at NIPSI. Uh, and, and that frustration has turned into this rumor that 
there's someone at the White House who's purposely cutting the feed whenever the president starts talking or goes off script or asks questions. Um, it, it came up in a Tuesday Senate Foreign Affairs Committee hearing when Idaho Senator uh, Jim Rich asked Secretary of State Blinken about it. Let's listen real quick. Look, we've all seen this. We saw it as, as recently as yesterday. Somebody in the White House has authority to press the button and stop the president, cut off the president's uh, uh, speaking ability and sound. Who is that person? I think anyone who knows the president, uh, including members of this uh, committee, knows that uh, he speaks very clearly and very uh, deliberately uh, for himself. Uh, no one else does. Well, are you, are you saying that there is no one in the White House that can cut him off? Because yesterday that happened, and it's happened a number of times before that. It's been widely reported that somebody has the ability to push the button and, and cut off his sound and stop him from speaking. Who is that person? There is, there is no such person. Again, uh, the president uh, speaks for himself, uh, makes all of the strategic decisions, uh, informed by the best advice that he can get from the, uh, the people around him. So are you unaware that this is actually happening? Because uh, it happened yesterday at the uh, interagency fire center. Uh, it was widely reported. The media's reported on it. And it's not the first time it's happened. It's happened several times. Are you telling this? Are you telling this committee that this does not happen? That there's no one in the White House who pushes the button and, <laughs> and cuts him off in mid-sentence? That's correct. So, Betsy, you were in the room on Monday as that feed cut off. What happened? Well, I have to say, I saw absolutely no evidence of anyone cutting off the president. And in fact, at that point, I didn't even know it was being live streamed. I was there in the room watching it take place. And the discussion was going along. And um, my sense was it was at least three quarters of the way through, if not more, when all of a sudden they just said, OK, time for the press to go out. And they shepherded us out as the president was speaking, I think that is the moment that the feed shut off. They just, for some reason, decided that that was the portion that they were going to convey. I'm, I don't think that there was anything particularly dramatic that had been missed or was about to happen. Um, and all of us in the press were just kind of like, oh, okay, we have to go over here now. And we went over there. And then we didn't hear the rest of it. Um, but we had heard the majority of it. And it, it, that was typical, I think, of this visit and how it was managed. We were brought back in for portions of the tour uh, and then, you know, brought back out. And then we were essentially dismissed before the visit was over. Um, and I left the grounds of NIFSI before the president had actually taken off. And it was during that time period that he was meeting with supporters and doing photo ops and, and apparently doing a FaceTime with Boise Mayor Lauren McLean and a government class at Boise High School, which is kind of interesting. Um, but we found those things out afterwards from those who attended. Well, not, you know, as you're saying that you were you and the other pool members were ushered out of the room as the president's asking questions of the attendees that I have to say, as a member of the media, who's very interested in government transparency, kind of adds to my frustration that this visit wasn't very transparent on the White House's part. Well, I think that, I mean, from my perspective, as someone who's in the pool, I did have access to a whole lot of it. Um, not all of it. Um, I think that, you know, the process of 
running the pool and all that could have been easier. It could have been better organized. It could have been handled further in advance, and it was not. So there were certainly frustrations for reporters. Um, the other thing in, in covering the roundtable, I mean, I think the roundtable was the heart of this visit. That's what it was about, was wildfires in Idaho and how could the federal government work better with the state and the states and the other agencies that are at NIFSI to address what's going on with these catastrophic fires we're having in, in the face of climate change. Um, and we did get to hear most of that, but I felt like when I was covering it, I was, I was just getting dribs and drabs. <laughs> um, and so I went back afterwards and I watched that live stream to make sure I had the full sense of it. And I still felt like I was kind of getting dribs and drabs. And that's just kind of how, you know, the president's speech patterns went and the way he interacted with the other presenters. Um, but we did hear some significant things. Uh, we did hear that he is committed to more resources to fight catastrophic wildfires. Um, he talked about how he used, invoked the Defense Production Act to speed the manufacture of fire hoses, although that had already been previously reported by the Associated Press. Um, he expressed a real openness to working with Governor Little and responding to the state's needs as far as addressing wildfires and climate change. And, and Governor Little actually took the opportunity to ask him for help with um, what he sees as onerous lawsuits that are holding up um, various forest health projects. And, and you know, I didn't hear a, a big commitment from the president to, to address that, but it was, certainly he gave the governor the opportunity to make that request. So I think that it, another big point I think that the president made in this visit was expressing his appreciation to firefighters in this very difficult year, which he went to great lengths to do. Um, he heaped praise upon our firefighters. He talked about memorials. He um, shook hands with firefighters. He met with them. He looked at the gear. He picked up. Um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the word. That that tool. Pulaski. A Pulaski. He picked up a Pulaski and hefted it, and he got to look over all the gear. and And it it was interesting. I think that for some of the um, firefighters out there, particularly who've been working very hard, it was pretty inspiring. I it just a little behind the scenes, I can see Betsy on the Zoom video. And as soon as she hefted up this invisible Pulaski, I knew what it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the, this visit comes at this really interesting moment in time in both Idaho and national politics. It's It was 72 hours after Governor Little had announced that he and Attorney General Wasden are exploring legal options in response to Biden's plan to fight COVID-19. Um, and th that plan, of course, includes requiring private businesses who employ more than 100 people to mandate vaccinations or weekly tests. You don't need to be a student of Idaho politics for very long to know that that's not going to be a popular proposition in Idaho. Um, did you hear vaccinations come up? I really expected to. And in fact, there was some question as to whether Governor Little was even going to participate in this meeting. And I inquired as of his office where, whether he was, and I didn't get confirmation that he was until that very morning. Um, but he did participate. And at least during the portions when I was present, absolutely no mention was made of the vaccine issue. All of the interactions that I heard focused on the wildfire issue. Um, and I was a little disappointed because it seemed to me that in some of the news reporting out of Washington, D.C. on the press briefings last week, there was some suggestion that the president might vis visit with officials in Idaho about their thoughts on his vaccine order. And I wanted to hear that. And in fact, I had a question I wanted to ask, um, but it did not come up. 
at any point within my hearing or my viewing during the course of this visit. Now, of course, it was high on the minds of the protesters who were outside the gates at NIFSI, along with a whole array of other concerns, uh, which I didn't really realize until reading the full coverage of the protests afterwards. I kind of drove through it on the way in, and then when I came out, it had mostly broken up. But it, there were multiple different issues being represented there, pretty much all against President Biden. That was their overriding thing. There were protesters against President Biden, and there have also been protesters against Governor Little and some criticism and pressure from primary opponents uh, for not taking a stronger stand or even meeting with President Biden in the first place. And you spoke to or reached out to at least some of those primary opponents for the uh, GOP gubernatorial primary. I did. I tried to cast a wide net and I sent a request for comments on the president's visit to a whole lot of political leaders and candidates um, of both parties, including candidates for governor and candidates for lieutenant governor. And I heard back from a good smattering of them, but not from all of them. And a couple of them would not say a word about wildfires or the reason for, for the president's visit, um, sticking solely to um, attacking his vaccine position. And among those was our current lieutenant governor, Janice McGeehan. And there were others um, such as Republican gubernatorial hopeful Ed Humphreys, who basically just said, you know, he thinks Biden's terrible, kind of the same lines as the protesters. They think he's a traitor, that he, he shouldn't really be president, things like that. Um, I did get uh, comments, though, from members of both parties, both leaders and candidates who talked about the president's wildfire message. And many of them who are among his harshest critics really welcomed his wildfire message. And I think this is a theme that we saw in the president's comments and also in the governor's reaction to it. The governor said it is imperative to keep our lines of communication open with our federal partners when it comes to wildfires because we need them and they need us and we need to fight the wildfires basically. And um, I think that, that the president himself discussed that. He talked about climate change and wildfires and said, it's not a Democrat thing. It's not a Republican thing. It's a weather thing. And he commended all four senators from both Idaho and Oregon for their work on the wildfire issues. So that includes both Republicans and Democrats saying that this is an area where we have true bipartisan cooperation to get something done. And again, it it's so interesting to me that this show of bipartisan effort comes as you can't get more partisan in some of the conversations that are going on about vaccination mandates. And this is such an interesting conversation to me that has a lot of nuance on the role of government and the science of how well vaccination works. Um, you know, all 50 governors, even the most conservative, are vaccinated against COVID-19. Governor Little has actively encouraged Idahoans to choose to get vaccinated. And he's not the only Republican governor who's threatened to sue the Biden administration over federal government mandates while supporting the rights of business owners to set the terms of employment. And there are other Republican lawmakers in Idaho and candidates who want to stop those employers from requiring mandates and saying that that's just a bridge too far when it comes to individual liberty. So, so I guess, are you seeing room for nuance in these conversations about role of government and vaccinations while trying to reach this point where, while, um, where we're tackling the pandemic and trying to make our hospitals function again, quite frankly. Well, you know, it's, it's hard for there to be nuance 
when a person is shouting obscenities and waving a flag in someone else's face. And we are hearing a lot of that type of dialogue, or I shouldn't say dialogue, conversation in Idaho and protest right now. Um, but I think an example might be right in the governor's statement where he was saying it was imperative to keep the lines of communication open on this. He also said he disagrees with President Biden on a whole lot of things. And I think our governor has made that very clear. And he has not just threatened a lawsuit. He is actively exploring legal, legal options with Attorney General Lawrence Wasden, which doesn't always happen when the governor's office decides to file a legal challenge. Sometimes they go off on their own. They're not arm in arm with the attorney general's office. Um, I've heard that there are, are legislative leaders who are involved in those discussions as well. And we may well see something come of that. I have to ask one last question. What would you have asked President Biden? You said you were ready. You had a question ready. What was it? So I had two questions, one on wildfires and on vaccines. And my wildfire question was, given the smoke, and this isn't exactly how I would have worded it, but given the smoke that's been inundating the Treasure Valley since June, given the kind of loss of our summers that we've seen, um, is there any end to this? Is this our new normal? Are we going to actually find a way out of this? And the president actually did address that question in his remarks. He talked about the orange smoky skies and his answer was pretty unsettling. He said, we're not gonna go back to where we were before. We're, you know, we can make it not be worse, but we're not going back where we were before. And that's a startling and kind of horrifying answer. My other question <laughs> about vaccines was about how um, the president's vaccine requirements regarding employers, um, very sweeping, um, can be accomplished in a fervent red state like Idaho, where, the, where there is so much vaccine hesitancy in the first place. How can he make that work as a way to halt the pandemic? And I would have loved to have heard his answer. I have to tell you, as a student of Idaho politics, I really would love to know what he would have said and how that's going to be enforced. Betsy Russell, Idaho Press Tribune, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Melissa. Thanks for listening. For updates throughout the week, make sure to follow Idaho Reports on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe to our newsletter for a weekly roundup of our coverage delivered to your inbox every Friday. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.